Welcome to the Sus Talk Podcast. I'm Susumu Rocky. We are continuing our series of NFL Divisional Previews. Last pod, I spoke with Christopher Svoglu of the Straight Up Saints Podcast to break down the NFC South. This time, we will be breaking down the AFC East. And joining me is a man who I have known. We have gone back and forth on football for almost the entirety that we've known each other. And we're both co-workers over at Sirius XM. I'm joined by Johnny Jackson. Johnny, thank you so much for coming back onto the podcast. Problem. Thank you for having me once again. Let's do it. Let's uh, tackle the AFC East. Now, I'm going to have Johnny on for a couple more divisions because, you know, we like to go back and forth and we usually have been going back and forth, especially during this uh, little weird period of the pandemic. We've been going a lot back and forth on this and and exchanging some fantasy advice back and forth. So as a reminder, here's how the preview is going to work. We will answer four very important parts of each team their main storyline heading into the season, some intriguing subplots, an X-Factor fantasy player that we should be looking out for, and most importantly, whether or not this team can hit their win total, which is established by Vegas. So leading off, let's go to the hapless Miami Dolphins. Well, maybe we won't call them (laughs) hapless for long, but let's go into the Dolphins. Their win total is 6.5, according to the Action Network, and the biggest storyline I have to tell you is how massive of a first step in the rebuild did they take? Oh, man. <laughs> a big one. I think they got the quarterback of their future to attack of Aloha. I mean, uh, you, you can't. And, and they did it, I guess. They tanked, but they also fell in position where they couldn't have just missed. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was Justin Herbert or Tua. Uh, they selected Tua, and uh, now I think, you know what, the sky's the limit. I'm hearing great things from Tua in camp, and uh, he has some pieces around him like Devontae Parker and Matt Gusecki. Um I, I think they're going to be a, 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 a team to recognize in 2020. I feel like when we talk about a team that as was in like this tanking phase, like we were actually avidly thinking that the Dolphins were tanking and that this was the most, you know, Oh, what's the word? Ambitious. Yeah, that's the word. Ambitious tanking we've seen in football. And in the NFL, you can't tank in this league. There's no way. Like in basketball and hockey or even baseball, you can afford to just because of the number of games. In football, it just feels like you cannot afford to tank. There is no realistic way to do this without looking like you're just completely throwing games. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I agree. And I think once Cincinnati found out they were like really bad, they said, okay, we know what it is. <laughs> and I think Miami, they won some games that were like, wow, they really pulled that off. Like the game against the Eagles when they hit that uh, trick play, it, it was just like, whoa, they're going to win this game. And a lot of fans are like, hey, we're still tanking for Burrow or tanking for Tua. And they, they lucked out on some games like beating the Patriots. But I think at the same time, they fell in a good place, though. So it's always like it wasn't tanking. They threw Fitzpatrick out there every week. But I think at the same time, they're happy to not have won a division or made the playoffs like five and 11. That's great. You know what I'm saying? It's it's not terrible. Like I honestly think that in football, like everyone's so charged to win. Everyone's so competitive just because of the urgency that the 16 games sets for you. Like you have to reach and win at least eight games to even be like competitive or nine games actually to even be like sniff the playoffs. So I think 
when it comes to this this was a clearly a failed tank but i feel like in the end the team itself was motivated at the end of the season they were playing for brian flores they were really locked in and right at the end and you saw against the patriots they really took the fight to them yeah 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 yeah. and i i agree i think nobody thought joe burrow was gonna be that great of, of a prospect um leading up into uh that season last season and um the tank for Tua became tank for Burrow. And the Miami, before they started the season, they acquired, I think, uh, Josh Rosen, I believe. And so they didn't know where they were going to go. They thought they had a good QB, but they started Fitzpatrick, and, and it went from there. But my thing is, though, it's like they didn't really tank in a sense like, hey, we're going to play bad every single game, every single year, I mean, every single week. But they knew what they were throwing out there. <laughs> You know, and I think they knew the talent they were going against. And, you know, the Patriots had, like, the best defense in the division. The Bills were that up-and-coming monster of a team. And the Jets' defense was really good last year. So I think they knew they were behind the eight ball. So it was like, we're not going to lose every game. We're going to compete. But at the same time, maybe, you know, we'll end up in a great spot to land one of the three best quarterbacks in the class. So I don't know. I think Miami lucked out big time with Tua. I, I agree with you on that point because they could have traded up to get Tua. They, no, but they sat back down and they said they stood pat and they decided to take the quarterback at five. The guy that they wanted was Tua. I mean, I think everybody wanted Joe Burrow, but we all knew that he was going to Cincinnati. And yeah. I just think that the whole speculation of Miami trading up, like the, I was advocating for it just because they had the pieces. And if you want a quarterback and you knew the guy that you want, you have to go get him, no matter the cost. Mm -hmm. And they had a perfect trade partner in the Detroit Lions who could easily could have just traded back. They could have gotten some picks for and just drafted Okuda anyway. But that didn't yeah. happen. So I I think that it's real. This has been they're able to keep almost all their draft capital and beef up their team and get the quarterback that they wanted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think they, they retooled in the first round. And in the second round, you know, they traded Minka Fitzpatrick. Uh, so I think, I don't know. I, I think, um, I remember the Chargers uh, front office or some a report came out the Chargers camp where basically they were going to either take two or Herbert, whoever fell to them. And I think that, the Dolphins were confident enough that nobody was going to jump them. You know, I felt like they were just like, whoever lands to us will take. And they took the better guy, in my opinion, with Tua. But I think that, yeah, the, the Redskins wasn't letting Chase Young, <laughs> you know, walk to another team. And Detroit, I think they could have traded back, but they probably wanted a bit much, you know. So I, I think Dolphins standing pat right there was just the best – option you know grab who you can <laughs> now before i go into their subplots let me just say because you kind of just flubbed there a little bit which is we now call them the washington football team i'm uncertain whether we need to censor the washington name the the bleep skins can we is that censorable now and do we have to censor that i think it, it's fine i think 2020 has just given us <laughs> the newest opportunity to say hey 
we, we can let this pass. <laughs> but yes, the Washington football team definitely. We're, we're calling on. them the Washington football <laughs> team. And I'm just uncertain whether we have to now censor this now since we were allowed to say that because that's what they were called and that's their team name. So we kind of had no choice. But now mm-hmm. that they're no longer called that, now that we have, we're entering a gray area here. It's like, what do we do in terms of, like, do we censor it out? But that's another discussion for another for another time. Let's go into the subplots. The It's not only who the amount of people that they drafted, but also the number of players that they signed and the amount of money that they spent. Because they had, this team had so much draft capital and so much cap. So yeah. here's some of the guys that they signed. Most notably, they signed Byron Jones to a five-year, $82 million contract that with $54 million guaranteed. They also signed guys like Kyle Van Noy, who signed for four years and $51 million with $30 million guaranteed. And a few guys, notable guys, including Jordan Howard, Shaq Lawson, Eric Flowers. So this team spent a lot of money. And... I think, is this going to help them? Because I've seen the signings before. Like, whenever the Dolphins go on a spending spree, it usually backfires on them. Yeah, no. But I also think that uh, you can supplement your defense well in the draft. I mean, in free agency. I think uh, you add pieces. Because defense, I think, personally, I think it's easier to build than it is an offense. Uh, so, with the defense, you plug in guys like Byron Jones, Calvin Noit, like, you get in quality players at premium positions. You pair Byron Jones with Xavier Howard, and then you draft a Noah Ignogany. Ignogany, that's how you say it. <laughs> so that's three quality cornerbacks you have that's going to be like, okay, we're going to cover long enough so Calvin Noy and guys on the line can get to the quarterback faster. So I think, I don't know, like I don't think that was a bad move for them to spend so much money on defense. And also I know the NFL as of, Jaguar fan, like uh, they, I remember hearing that if you don't spend the money, you're gonna lose it. So they had to go out and overpay for some guys. I see that in a sentiment. I agree with that sentiment. I just, just like when you invest in all these guys, you better hope that they play up to their potential because when you see guys like contracts that Albert Haynesworth got, and for the in the Dolphins' case, they got Nadami Kinsu, who. I guess played up to his level for a little bit, but not to the liking of the contract that he got. That's the whole thing is that can any of these guys live up to the contracts that they've earned? Always hope that the guy you sign or the guy that's going to be on your team is that guy that just got paid to, you know? So I think, um, I, I don't know. I We will just have to wait and see, but honestly, I think they picked some good guys that want to have something to prove. Um, and most importantly, that they're young still. They didn't sign old guys that's like at the tail of their careers. Like they signed good young guys that's going to go, that meshes well with what the offense brought in free in, uh, the draft. Let's move over to the Jets. But before that, let's determine whether they can hit their win total. Now, keep in mind that the AFC East is facing the NFC West this season, and they're also facing the AFC West as well. So that's an incredibly tough schedule for any team let alone a, a a conference or a division that collectively is as weak as the AFC East. I'm very interested. So their, their over-under is 6.5. Do you think they hit the over-under? Honestly, I think they hit the over. Because, really? You think uh, they won seven games? I think they won seven games only because when they decide 
to make the change at quarterback <laughs> with Tua. They'll get inspired. They'll, the, the offense will be a lot flowing more. And I think uh, they'll definitely hit hit over seven for sure because Tua is that transitional, that that talent to say, hey, we, we're going to go to the next level now. Follow me. Just like how Russell Wilson did in Seattle, in my opinion. I think he's just going to – I'm looking at their schedule, and it's hard for me to to point where two is going to come in. Maybe week three against Jacksonville, or maybe week four at home against Seattle. But you can't ride all 16, 17 weeks with Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback. I think two is healthy now, and seven games. I, I can see seven wins here. I can really see seven wins. It's very interesting that you say that. I'm going to go with the under just because you're facing not only an incredibly battle-tested NFC West division, but you also have the AFC West. You have the Chiefs, a well-built Broncos team, and a Chargers team. And even the Raiders are a little – are pretty competitive. And I just think that when you have other divisions that are just – that are going to overpower you. That just means that that's at least like six losses right there. At at best, you get like four. You, you go four for four on that. Four and four. But basically, you're what with that over. You're basically depending on the Dolphins just dominating their own division. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but also, I mean, if you take a little look at the schedule, they have Kansas City late in the season. They have. They go to Vegas and play the Raiders late in the season. So those games could be given to the home teams. But early in the season against Seattle, maybe at New England, like those games are really toss-up games. And since there's no preseason, you just don't know how it might go yet. So it's it's the early guys like at Denver versus Chargers versus Rams, those games can be won. I, I don't think that's too far-fetched now. It depends on who they're throwing out there. If they're saying, hey, Ryan Fitzpatrick, go beat, you know, the Aaron Donald and the Rams. Ah, I don't know about that. <laughs> but I think if they have Tua in there early and letting the offense come to him, I think they can steal six, seven wins. I really do. Now, they're not a 10-win team or a 500 team, I think, but they're going to get their uh, six wins, I think, easily. Now, the win total, it, so you mean seven wins? Yes. Seven, I think you can reach. If you if we could go down the schedule real quick where I can tell you who they have a good chance of beating. Yeah, um, we, we could. I think they could beat Buffalo. I think they can beat Jacksonville. Seattle, San Francisco, back-to-back weeks. I think they can get Seattle. That's three already. Oh, man. Then they might go on a losing streak with San Fran, Denver, and uh, they play the Chargers and the Rams back-to-back. They can get one from the Chargers. I'm not too sure about the Rams. Not at, at all. They got Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald. It doesn't matter which quarterback you throw out there right now. They're just the better team. You go to Arizona and play the Jets before the bye. I mean, the Jets, and then they come at, with the Jets after the bye. So I think they split that 1-1. So what are we at? Four, maybe five. They have Cincinnati, Kansas City, Patriots, Raiders, Buffalo. They can steal two, especially from Cincinnati and maybe Buffalo. Let's go into Fantasy Spotlight before we go into the Jets. So we're just going to quickly say the two main guys that we're, gonna, we're eyeballing here, Devontae Parker and Mike Gusecki. Devontae Parker really stepped up right around the mid to late season, really just gobbling up on targets, getting yardage, getting receptions. And then Gusecki was a surprise because I think he really just like, he was the guy that was kept moving the Dolphins, like they kept moving the drives. And 
I think this season, a lot of people are going to be looking at Gaseki as that secret tight end option that you pick up as maybe as like if you're going with a don't pick up a tight end till much later or you're the last team to pick up a tight end strategy, you pick up Gaseki. And then for Parker is very interesting because two other wide receiver options, two of the other receivers on their team opted out. So it's between him, Preston Wilson, and that means that there's just more targets to go around for Parker. Correct, correct. And I think, honestly, like, fantasy football is so wide receiver-driven now. Like, you you kind of forget about the tight ends that really help put your team over. And Gusecki can help put any team over. Like, he showed us late last year, like, hey, I'm an option in this passing game, especially in the red zone, I think. Uh, so honestly... I wouldn't say he's more valuable in fantasy than Devontae Parker, but I can't see why you wouldn't elevate Gasecki maybe into your top five tight end in fantasy. I think he's a red zone option, and you never know with Devontae Parker and his foot. So I would rely heavily on Gasecki. I would draft Gasecki in any format, any league, you name it. Even in eight teams? Yeah, for sure. I mean – Yes, it depends on who you draft, of course, but if you need a tight end that's going to fall to you or you're waiting on a tight end, don't let Gasicki pass you at all. Well, now, Devontae in- Parker, Devontae Parker, he's going to get force-fed the ball, but what in, he's going to get double. I think he faces Stephon Gilmore twice a year, so it's like uh, I'd rather, I, I like Gasicki more on, as a fantasy option for the Dolphins than Parker, personally. All right, let's go to the Jets because their win total is seven. And I think the biggest storyline for the Jets right now is is Sam Darnold. Is this his last chance? Do you think that if he falls apart and if Gase gets fired, they're going to try to go, go for a new quarterback? I think it's too soon. I think it's too soon. I think uh, they'll replace the coach, Adam Gase, before that. Um, Sam Darnold's still relatively young. What is he, like 23, 24, right? It's, he's still relatively young. I think he hasn't had the help yet. Uh, you could blame the pre- the previous GM, and they're trying to build something now with Mims and things like that. But uh, I, I think he sticks around for sure. I think the, the biggest storyline is Gase. This is Gase probably final shot as a head coach in the league. I think he has proven in Miami and now in New York that it, it he kind of rubbed, rubbed players the wrong way, but at the same time, um, he's supposed to be an offensive guru. Well, we haven't seen it yet, right? So I think Sam Darnold is a heck of a QB. I think he could be a top 10 QB in the league one day. But I think he needs that spark. And I don't know if it's Adam Gase. I, I believe, you know, like if they hired Eric Benamy from Kansas City, he would have been solid for Darnold. But uh, it, I think the biggest option here is, is Gase. What is he going to do? What is, what is the offense going to look like? The defense, I'm not worried about. I think the defense is going to be good, but – to answer you, I think Darnold, Darnold's safe. Darnold's safe. I think Jody pretty much said, hey, we're not touching Darnold. Darnold's our quarterback. I think the moves that uh, Joe Douglas made really emphasize his whole point of helping, trying to help Darnold. Now, granted, in terms of just the receiver receiving options and weapons, he hasn't really helped them much, but... You, you saw what he did in, in the offseason. He signed a lot of offensive line help. He got guys like George Fant or guys like George Fant, Alex Lewis, who he re-signed, and then Connor McGovern. They got guys that could easily plug in to just protect it because 
I think that's the one thing that they need to get guys that can protect Sam and not pull and not do to him what New England did on Monday night and then creating that mm-hmm. I'm seeing ghosts meme. So like you need to get Darnold help. If you're going to help Darnold, giving giving him protection is the first step. Yeah, you know, for, for sure. And I think they did a solid job. I'm not, I'm not saying they did the best job, but they did the best that they can do. They got pieces that will actually help. Connor McGovern still is, is a solid center. They got Makai Becton, who's I've read in camp is killing things like left and right. And I think he weighed like 370 pounds and, like, and he's kind of quick on his feet. Like who's he's going to be his left tackle is, is there. You know what I'm saying? And I think the other guys they plug in going to play uh, George Fan, Van Roden. I think they did a good job protecting Sam. I think Joe D addressed that and he got it done. And I think now it's just give him the weapons, give him the weapons to, to help him win. Um, I, I, I don't know uh, if it's going to be more than what six, you said six wins, right? Or seven wins. The seven, win total seven wins is the, is seven wins according to action network. All right. So I don't know if the weapons he has says seven wins. Maybe Darnold has to elevate and say, Hey, we're going to win <laughs> eight games, nine games, because I just don't see it though. Like Perryman, he ha- he kind of just came on, you know. Like, can he do that in another on another team? I don't know. That is a good question, and I think a subplot to me that's going to be really important is that defense, as you mentioned, they lost C.J. Mosley, who opted out, and then mm-hmm. Jamal Adams. Well, he got traded away for a big package, as they like to say, mm-hmm. even though this. Not really, not 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 in my opinion, but anyway, they lo- they lose their star defender and they lose their big acquisition from last year. So what is this defense going to look? And you saw last year that even without Mosley, that Jets defense, even with the lack of names that they had other than Adams, they stepped up big. Like there were games where the Jets defense was just there, and you, maybe you could just say that um, Greg Williams actually did a pretty a decent job with this defense, and I'm. Whether he can do do this again this year is the big question. The, the my friend, I have a, a close friend that loved the Jets season ticket hold and everything, and he tells me one thing, and I, I see it. It's the players love Greg Williams. They will run through a wall for Greg Williams. So I think yes, you lost C.J. Mosley again. You, you removed Jamal Adams. You kind of got. Um, Avery Williamson may be healthy for week one. I'm not 100% sure about that. But the team is going to play hard on defense. And that's I think that's just going to be the Jets' way this year. Last year, I said the same thing. I said the defense alone will win the Jets eight games. And this year, I think the, the defense alone will probably win five games or so because the defense, they play hard. They go – they give great effort. Linebackers come out of nowhere for the Jets and make a big name for themselves. I'm a big fan of Blake Cashman personally. So I think – they have a good chance because they're going to be coached up to it. And you still have Clean and Williams who got to take the next step up. So uh, it's the defense. Uh, yes, you say no names, but it's not really that. You know, like, it, yeah, you don't have Jamal Adams back there, but Bradley McDougal's not a pushover. You know, uh, Marcus May is probably going to be a pro bowler again. Uh, was he a pro bowler? I think he was a pro bowler. But um, he's, he's a great free safety in my opinion. So I think. They, they can do it on defense. It's just the offense for me with the Jets. 
They also, in return for Jamal Adams, they did get Brad McDougal, who I personally am a big fan of. I love watching McDougal play. He was a guy that the Seahawks signed on a bargain contract, and he really played his ass off. And what I loved mm-hmm. watching about McDougal was that this is someone who played for the team, and the team really resonated with them. And you get someone like him in that locker room with a defense that's already playing under a coach that they really want to play for, that just yep. adds more positive chemistry to this team. Although I will say on a side note that if the Jets corrupt Bradley McDougal, I will hate that team forever. <laughs> No, I think he's in good hands. He's in good hands. I think that just you'll see Marcus May and Bradley McDougal play at a higher level back there. They might be two Pro Bowls. I'm telling you, I love that safety tandem. Uh, and their pass rush, they just has to be a little bit more consistent. But Bradley McDougal's a dog. And as you know, I play um, IDP fantasy football, and I had him on my team when he first got to Seattle. And, man, he could find the ball. He could really – every fumble he gets, picks, like – he and he gets a lot of tackles. So I, I like Bradley McDougal. I think he's going to be a star for the Jets on defense. Maybe not a star on defense, but definitely a major contributor. I think he's going to be a star on defense. I think he's going to be a, a household name – by the time the season's over, they're not going to let him walk out the door. They're going to they're gonna say, hey, he's going to be our strong safety for a while. It may uh, have to decide what they want to do on Marcus May, you know, because they got Ashton Davis right behind them. But uh, Bradley McDougal is going to be around for a little bit. That is, it is interesting. I've never seen someone praise uh, McDougal that high. The only reason I temper my expectations with him is just because he was – keep in mind, he was playing with Pete Carroll, who is – a specialist at making defensive backs look incredibly playing elevating defensive backs you saw guys like cam chancellor and richard sherman who were drafted in the mid rounds and he turned turned those guys into superstars and that's the that's the reason why everyone is salivating over the jamal adams team up with p carroll because you look at jamal adams it's just like Pete Carroll's just salivating. He's just thinking to myself what i could do with this guy on defense the things that i could do are limitless and I right. think, okay. yeah, and I, and I just think that when you go take, when you get out of that type of environment, like the culture that the Seahawks established and go to a different, more drastic change in the kind of environment like the Jets, I don't know how much that's going to impact someone's play. Like maybe McDougal just doesn't get used to being on the Jets just because there's a lot of drama, a lot of controversy surrounding this team on a constant basis that really does affect like a lot of players. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. But I, I just, Jamal Adams, full world safety, great talent. Everybody knows his resume. Uh, just Bradley McDougal's no, no pushover. Like he's a really good player. And I think uh, one thing about, I, I learned with Greg Williams is that it doesn't matter who lines up for you. Somebody's going to get it done. And Bradley McDougal, he'll play through injuries. He'll play through, uh, and whether the team is down, he's going to try to be the spark. And if you just watch Bradley McDougal, like I had to with the IDP, it's he finds his way to the ball somehow, some way. And I think, man, Jets got a good safety. I When I, when I found out that the return, I thought, okay, the picks are cool, but they got Bradley McDougal. Like he could play. <laughs> and I, I was a little happy. I had to drop him last year because uh, he, he was running to the injury bug. But um, – he, he, he's a baller, though. He's a baller. I like him. 
That is some high praise. Let's go to the fantasy angle with the Jets. The fantasy angle is, is there anyone on this team that's even viable as a star at all? Because Le'Veon Bell's being drafted right around running back 2025 now. That's such a drastic drop for the kind of running back that he is. And now you look at this team and who could step up as a fantasy option. The only other guy on this team, aside from Bell, is probably Jameson Crowder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I think uh, with Le'Veon Bell, to get back to, I think they brought in a lot of help for him with Frank Gore, LaMichael Pirine, maybe Josh Adams. I think he's going to have some snaps taken away now. That doesn't mean he's not going to have, you know, fantasy potential. Um, I wouldn't take him high. Maybe if he fell third, fourth round, yes, I'm grabbing Le'Veon Bell. Um, but I, I, I can say Jamison Crowder. I, I think I feel like it's the same thing with Miami a little bit. The, the, the guy that's probably going to get the most love in fantasy should be Chris Herndon. Like, <laughs> it's another tight end. <laughs> Sam Darnold and Chris Herndon, those guys, I think, was it two years ago? They were like peanut butter and jelly. Like, they were just every, – every big play was Herndon, Herndon, Herndon. And it's like, wow, who the hell is this guy? But uh, I, I don't know. Like, I think Jameson Crowder, Mims, Brashard Perryman – they're going to be solid. I think the ball is going to be spread around. I wish we had a preseason to figure this all out. But uh, I, I really like Chris Herndon, though. I really like him this year you know, for fantasy for the Jets. That's a name to really think about. And let's go to their win total. I, I still think at the end of the day, the Jets will hit the under, just given the fact that mm-hmm. there's so much uncertainty with this team. You don't know what Adam Gase is going to be like, and you feel less confident in him day by day. I just think that if you're a team, again, AFC West, NFC West, that's a lot to handle, and I just think that they are not going to be able to hit seven. Yeah, no, I looking at their schedule back when it was released, when I was talking to my friend, and looking at it now, it doesn't change my opinion. It's going to be a rough start. It's going to be a rough start, and Adam Gase is on the hot seat, and it's like – where do you get their first win from? Like, it's hard city. At Buffalo, 49ers, at uh, the Colts, home Denver, home Arizona, at Chargers. It's like, it's no off week for them where you can say, ah, this is a given win. Like, every week is going to be important, and it, this is a rough schedule. <laughs> yeah. So do they really seven? I don't see it. Like, I, it, it'll, it'll shock me for sure. It'll shock me. But yeah. – if they get six or seven, I wouldn't it, – it'll be like, whoa, they did it. You know what I'm saying? Because the schedule is rough. The schedule is rough. Their wins are going to come definitely in the division. If they're going to have any wins, yeah. it's going to be in the division. So we'll see yeah. where that goes. Let's go to another team. Let's let's go to the wild card team, the Buffalo Bills, who mm. positioning themselves to be the favorites in this division. There's they're the only team to me right now that has less questions, less uncertainty. They have the team, they know who they are. So the big question, the big storyline here for them is can Josh Allen make the next level leap? Yeah, no, that I think that's the biggest storyline. I think they have less storylines than the other teams in the division i think their biggest concern is can josh allen step up and uh get it done for them um he showed some flashes last year mostly as a running qb but um they gave him a great uh wide receiver stefan diggs uh they retooled some of their running backs i think 
the team is pretty much going to be relying on him to see because the defense, I think, is solid. I think the weapons he has are solid, but it's all about Josh Allen. Can he get it done? Can he get it accurate? Can he win them games when it matters? Like, I think the season is going to be on Josh Allen's shoulders. We've seen in camp that his arm's still there. It's still ready to go. He is one of the better arms in all of football. The guy can toss a 50-yard a 50 bomb like nobody else aside from Patrick Mahomes or Russell Wilson. And the potential is there, but accuracy and consistency have always been an issue with him. And it really flared up in the playoffs against the Texans. He just right. could not get a throw, a consistent throw in. He couldn't get through a tight window. And you kind of saw him just kind of falter in the, at the end. And I think through that experience, I think he's gained like an understanding of this is what a real playoff game looks like and i need to step up if i'm going to lead this team past the wild card past the division i have to improve i need to step up and Mm -hmm. for this team that has already a very good defense and a head coach and a general manager that has a fundamental a great understanding of what their identity is and what they have and who they are i think that this bills team just needs the quarterback to step up and this team could be really dangerous yeah you know it's funny how like the bills have it where their quarterback got a big arm but he's kind of not accurate but the guy they just drafted jake Fromm, he's like an accurate quarterback with not the best arm (laughs) so i think they got a you know tail to the tape right there but um no i I agree i agree i think it's just josh allen it's up to him because sean mcdermott just got an extension he's not going anywhere the uh the gm he's not going it it's it's up to josh allen and 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 it's like the bills mafia they love him they adore josh they think he's like jesus to them you know he is their guy but josh allen has a lot of concerns because you don't just get better at accuracy from college to the pros like you have to work on it and I think uh, we'll see this year. Uh, we'll honestly see. Personally, I'm not the biggest Josh Allen fan. I think he'll throw you out of a game real quick. I think you have to kind of limit him on those big plays. But uh, he, he's he's their QB, so uh, we'll see. <laughs> I like what they did. And I think one of the subplots is, could the Buffalo Bills start a little bit of a AFC East dynasty? That's a, a huge question because, like, as I said before, like, we – they have the coach, they have the GM, they have the quarterback. And look at the guys that they signed. A lot of them extremely familiar with Doug McDermott. Well, not Doug McDermott. I mean, Sean McDermott. Jesus, Sean McDermott. that's really bad. That was such a bad flop. Anyway. I probably said Doug too. Maybe Sean. <laughs> Sean, Mc, Sean McDermott. Yeah, we're mistaking him for Dougie McBuckets. It's a really bad bad yeah. mistake to make. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so some of the guys that they signed to help bolster their defense include Barrio Addison, former Carolina Panther, Vernon Butler, former Carolina Panther, Quinn Jefferson, who I've seen as a, has had a few bright moments on the on the Seahawks, whether if it's as a defensive end or as a rushing interior lineman, and then Josh Norman. He's they signed him to a one year contract, six million. Six million, and this is a guy that knows Sean McDermott so well. He was the reason, partially the reason that McDermott has a job in the first place and gained the notoriety. That right. notoriety. Correct. Yeah, no, I agree, and I think this could be Josh Allen return as a really good corner. I mean, for the Washington Football Team, he kind of fizzled out. So uh, 
I don't know. McDermott likes what he sees with Josh, so let's see if you know if him and Trey White could, could get it going out there. Now, if see, that's the thing I didn't even realize that if Josh Norman gets back into form, and then you have him right across Tre'Davious White, no yeah. one's you can't no one's going to be able to do anything with that corner duo. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna be ridiculous. But I also I also think that they. Uh, they kind of rely on their safeties too, with Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, uh, to help put them in great positions. So Josh Norman will will fit in great there because they have other leaders in that secondary to put Josh Norman in the right spot. You know, in Washington football team, I don't know if that existed. I don't know what happened there to why Josh Norman was one of the best cornerbacks in the game. Carolina went to got paid in Washington, kind of fizzled out, and now he has a chance to to be great again. And I think um, he has other vets back there that know how to do their role who, who are pro bowlers and considered some of the best secondary in the game. So, yeah, I think Josh Norman is going to fit in fine. Can he stay healthy? I hope so. <laughs> but uh, he got some guys behind him like Levy Wallace and Isaiah Brown who could step in. But um, I, I, I think Josh Norman is going to be fine up there. I'll tell you this much. If you're in any fantasy matchup, you're facing the Bills secondary, any wide receivers, you might just have to fade them on a weekly basis just just because if they can if all of them are in sync together, that that's a secondary no quarterback wants to face. Let's go into the fantasy spotlight because I think there's a couple of guys that we could hit on here. Josh Allen most notably, he is his one big amazing skill why I love him is that Every time I have him at quarterback, he just rushes in, gets those rushing touchdowns that are so valuable for the QB position. And then not only just that, you have guys like Devin Singletary. Now, the, we'll see how the running back rotation looks from from training camp on. So that's a big um, notable position to look for. But Stephon Diggs, does this guy, does he come back to being a top 10 fit fantasy wide receiver just because he's now the the main beneficiary, the main target of of that team, or maybe this is going to take a little bit. Is it going to take a little bit for him to get back into what he what he can definitely be? Mm-hmm. No, I, I I agree, and um, I, I agree with mostly everything you said. Uh, Josh Allen personally is my fantasy uh, pick for the Bills. I think. Uh, whether he's throwing deep bombs to John Brown, maybe Cole Beasley is now Stephon Diggs. Josh Allen's going to put up the points, but he also gets those rushing touchdowns. So it kind of hinders the other running backs like Devin Singletary and TJ Yeldon, and they just drafted uh, Zach Moss. So um, I think Josh Allen is the key piece to this Bills team. Now, that's not saying that Diggs, Beasley, and Brown aren't going to do anything, but I think when you're looking for probably a quarterback in fantasy, not Real life in fantasy, I think Josh Allen is that dual threat where he's going to get you both. He's going to rack up some long yard runs. He's going to get you some long bomb passes. So it, I think Josh Allen is not my guy. Not a tight end this time. <laughs> so uh, Josh Allen's my guy for if I, I needed to pick a fantasy option from this team. I think the we're going to go into their win totals now. I think the the winner of this division is definitely going to be at worst nine wins like i think nine wins are going to determine who wins the division here because it's honestly is up in the air because with the dolphins and jets if they actually overachieve they could definitely win this division it's not like in past this past decade where it's just been the patriots and who finishes second so right 
We'll see. Now, I think the Bills can edge over and hit the hit the nine. I think that as a team, they're a lot more stable. And I think that given the fact that there's no preseason and no real opportunity for other teams to gel, you look at the Bills, they don't really have any uncertainty. And I think that they're going to be able to win this division. They just need to stay healthy. And I think um, they, they've had some something shaky happen on the uh, offensive line. Uh, I believe they just signed uh, someone that just got cut from the Jets, I believe. So it's like they're kind of iffy. I think I like Cody Ford and Deion Dawkins as their booking tight uh, tackles. But, um, yeah, as far as the schedule goes, man, it's just the Bills. I think they're just the best Personally, I think they're the best team in the division because they have a really great defense. And if their offense gets to clicking, they'll start, you know, scoring all over the place. But uh, – the schedule isn't like the Dolphins or isn't like the Jets in a sense where they have like games back to back to back where it's like you can't pick up pick out a win. But for the uh, for the Bills, I think you really can. Um, they have the first two games: Jets, Dolphins, Rams, uh, Raiders, Titans. I think they could pick three, four wins. So it's 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 not hard for me to say they're gonna hit nine wins. I can't wait for their matchup against the the Steelers back in later in December just because that mm-hmm. game against uh, Pittsburgh was really fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And I think both teams could possibly be playing for some things at that point. So that'll be one of those games where you, it's, it's probably must, must see. And it's a Sunday night football game. So go for it. Yep. Final team. And we're going to wrap Then after that, it's a wrap up here. The New England Patriots, the Tom Brady-less New England Patriots. Their win total as of now is nine. And the biggest storyline by far has to be, can Bill Belichick make this team competitive even without Tom Brady after the 20 long years that these guys have been together, winning six Super Bowls, dominating the AFC East over on a consistent basis, and just essentially terrorizing the entire NFL for their entire tenure together. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the big storyline, right? Can basically can Bill Belichick win without Tom Brady? Um, well, we got to find out if he has a quarterback. <laughs> um, it's 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 crazy because you know I think Belichick landed on some quarterbacks throughout his tenure with the Patriots so far with some good ones. Uh, he got um. Jimmy Garoppolo, he didn't really want to get rid of him, but they had to get rid of him. Uh, of course, Tom Brady. Then they had the guy, uh, what is his name? I'm, I'm blanking right now. I went to Kansas City. Matt Castle. Uh, Matt Castle, there you go. Um, he, he started off solid. They sold him high. They sold Jacoby Brissett high because he flashed in some preseason games, right? So <laughs> I think um, we'll have to see who, who's the quarterback. Is it Cam? Is it uh, Hoyer? <laughs> so it's like... Or uh, Stidham. So it's like you really have to just wait and see now because I think Belichick had one of the great defenses in the league last year. And um, now I think this year they had about eight COVID opt-outs. So uh, it's a lot that's on like uh, Patrick Chung. Uh, it's another guy, I think, too. Dante Hightower. But, um, Hightower, there you go. So I think uh, they they got some question marks on defense now. Um if they're going to hit their win total, I'm not 100% sure, but they have to really figure out the quarterback position, and then we can judge Bill Belichick then. Like, hey, you, you kind of need a Tom Brady. 
We'll see. And I think that's one of the subplots, definitely. It's Cam Newton versus Jared Stidham. And I can't believe that's really a quarterback battle. I can't believe if you told me five years ago or even three years ago that Cam was going to be battling for a QB position with Jared Stidham, another quarterback from Auburn who also had a major victory against Alabama under his belt, under his resume, <laughs> yeah. I, my mind would have exploded. Like you would have had to pick pieces of my brain <laughs> off the sidewalk. Just because, like, I couldn't believe this. Like, Jared Stidham, here's a guy that I believe he was, I mean, I think he was definitely the quarterback when Auburn, no, he wasn't. No, I'm try... I thought he was the quarterback when I I keep blanking. I keep forgetting, mistaking him for uh, Nick Marshall for some reason. Oh, Nick Marshall, right, right, right. <laughs> I don't know why I thought Jared Stidham was the 2013 um, quarterback for the Auburn, for Auburn, but, like, he... I believe Stidham still, I think, had a victory over Alabama at least once in his career, right? I think so. Uh, what was that? 20... Uh, what is that? Because Nick Marshall was there 2015, 2014. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Sorry. I think it was 2017. He was after. Yeah, I think it was 2017. Yeah, I'm, I'm just looking through because... Yeah. Uh, Oh, he did. 2017 Iron Bowl. Jared Stidham steals Auburn's win. Yeah, yeah. I remember that one. So this is interesting because they're, uh, yeah, they're, really they're really into this idea of making Stidham the quarterback. And they were sitting on it because like, the Pats could have had all the opportunities. They could have drafted a quarterback this year, but they decided not to. And we were all like, what is Bill doing? And, you know, we've we've learned in the past, like we've always like had doubts on what he was doing and think, what is he doing? Why is he doing this? And why is he doing that? But he always ends up answering all of our doubts every single time. But I think now you're seeing what's going to happen. Like with this quarterback competition is really going to determine like whether Bill Belichick still has it or not. Uh, I, I can't question. I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I can see. And I actually, I saw a tweet this morning where, they said uh, Stidham was struggling at camp, and then the two followed up and said, hey, Cam Newton is not taking the job away because it's not like he's doing great either. So, yeah, we'll have to just wait and see. I think Belichick – now, we talked about tanking a little bit ago where, no, you cannot convince Bill Belichick to ever tank. But I'm going to go out on a limb here and say this is the perfect time. <laughs> not to tank, but to say, you know what, I don't care. Just throw somebody out there. Because you have three great quarterbacks coming out next year that's going to be in the top five. Why not set yourself up for the next 15 years possibly with a Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or Trey Lance? So, yeah, the chance of that happening is zero almost, probably a one. But it wouldn't be that bad of an idea because you sticking with either Stidham or Cam, it's like – are those guys really who you want leading your franchise, not only this year, but for the foreseeable future? Or you just worry about this season and say, hey, we're going to hit our win total. We're going to win the East based off of uh, our coaching and how good we're supposed to be because we're the New England Patriots. No, like, let's think about it now. This is not even about only this year. It's about is Cam Newton going to win you enough games to not get you a good quarterback? Is Stidham's going to win you enough games to not get you Trey Lance or Justin Fields or maybe Trevor Lawrence? Like, 
you have to think about this. So I think whoever they decide will be like, okay, I, I see what their direction. I can see if they, hey, I want to start Cam Newton, good. They're going for a Super Bowl run. If they start Stidham just based off what they see in practice, not preseason, not in live games, but practice, they're like, ah, oh, we're going to see what the kid could give us. <laughs> I think it's more interesting just on the case of this is really the first time with Bill. We're not really thinking about he's in like a weird position. This is a, a true position where he could really go for a hard restart now and he could really have a chance yeah. to build, rebuild something or he could just be like, we have always been about winning. We're never going to tank. That's never going to be in our vocabulary ever. And if you bring it up again, I will kick you out of the media room or off the Zoom <laughs> call now. So it's very interesting. Like Bill's always been mysterious and we've always tried to figure out what's his deal. Like, what is he thinking? Like we can never really figure it out for sure. So this is going to be an interesting storyline coming in is whether the Pats, when did they think about just saying, let's just tank or do they just soldier on and just hope and pray that they get seven, seven, nine wins. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy because you read in these reports coming from camp where like in kill Harry hasn't taken that jump yet. And he's honestly the last year's draft. I thought he was the best wide receiver coming out. Um, now, granted, he couldn't show it because he was hurt most of the year and then came in and had some flashes. But uh, he hasn't, I guess, shown that he's that number one wide receiver. And you still got Julian Edelman there. And, like, how long are they going to hold on to him? You know, because he's kind of up there in age and he doesn't have Tom Brady anymore. So they can get some value, I guess, if they move him. But my thing is, it's like, I, I don't know, man. I, it's, it's hard to predict because – you're not going to convince any Patriots fan to tank. You're not going to convince Belichick, hey, just lose. But I think that's the best option for them <laughs> because you're not going to re- – I personally see it as you're not going to give Cam a four, three, four-year million-dollar deal, uh, three, four-year deal, even if he does good. <laughs> because it's like you're still searching for that Tom Brady kind of quarterback where it's like this is our guy, no questions asked. Where next year, it's like, oh, how's Cam's back? How's his shoulder? How's his foot? How's, you know, it's too many variables with Cam Newton. Instead of, I just, I don't see it. Like, I don't see him being the next Jimmy G or or uh, Castle or Brady. Like, I just don't see it. But they know better than me. <laughs> Vegas spot. knows better than everyone. <laughs> yeah, they, they are the all-seeing eyes of all yeah. the sports. So let's go to the fancy spotlight. And for the longest time, the Pats have always been like last year was very foggy. There was you, there was no clear cut guy aside from Edelman. But even then, like Edelman, it's just he's under a different quarterback now. And and kind of what you have to wonder is how is his value going to be now that he's going to be taking snap, taking passing, eh, taking catches from or Jesus, I can't say anything right. All right. Like he's taking who's gonna be Mr. Reliable. So yeah. yeah, is he going to be who's he taking like getting receptions? Like how is who's he getting like thrown the ball from? Like that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Because Cam Noon and Tom Brady are very different quarterbacks. And even Jared Stidham's a little bit more different than Brady, although he's a little bit more towards the Brady side than Cam. But if Cam's the quarterback when I think he's going to be the starting quarterback for the Pats. Like, what is his going – who's the wide receiver that benefits the most from that? All right. And uh, honestly, I think – well, at, at, 
Julian Edelman is that safe haven where it's like if things look crazy, you know you can throw a five-yard in or a crossing route, a pick play. Julian Edelman's going to get it. So personally, I think the fantasy option still is probably Edelman, especially in PPR leagues because he's going to get a lot of those short passes. He's going to get a lot of uh, crossing routes. Um, in Kill Harry, Mohamed Sanu, I think those guys are going to be impact players as well. doesn't matter who's the quarterback. Somebody's got to get them the ball, right? Uh, but I just think that Edelman gains a lot of value because he has the opportunity to, to work underneath more. And he, he could take a hit. I mean, we've seen Edelman get his clock cleaned in the Super Bowl. He still gets up and, and finishes Super Bowl MVP and things like that, right? So I think um, Edelman is definitely the fantasy option here. He might not lead the league and um, lead the team in TDs, but when you talk about catches and yards, I think Edelman's going to be that guy where he's probably going to end up with 90 to 100 catches uh, just and mostly all of those plays are going to be underneath routes just to move the ball. I I definitely agree with you. I just think that what I think I completely forgot Sanu was still on this team. So maybe Sanu could also be a secret value play. If you're in a 10 to 12 yeah. league team, he could be someone that you could plug in if someone gets injured. And I think the big question for the Pats is like all the running backs. You have James White and Sonny Michelle. I have my doubts on. I have so many doubts on Sonny Michelle, just given his injury history and the kind yep. of running back that he is. But James White could still be valuable just because of his ability to just be a, another safety valve for whoever is at under center. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And that was probably going to be my number two pick out of. Ever as a fantasy option on his team, James White. I mean, can you – he's done it over and over again where he catches out the backfield. He can line up on the uh, outside. He can do it all, and he's going to get uh, a lot of playing time because I don't know – I think Sonny Michelle's on the PUP, so it's looking like it's going to be Damian Harris uh, lining up and then James White spelling him, of course. But uh, James White is always going to get his catches, and – Cam Newton, if they start Cam Newton, Cam had McCaffrey. He knows how to dump it off to a running back, hopefully still. So I I, I think James White is going to be up there with Edelman in targets and also uh, just in, in touchdowns as well because James White is definitely a, a good uh, goal line or a red zone type play uh, player. Let's wrap it up with their win total. I actually think the Pats are going to push here. I think they're going to make nine wins. Mm. Oh, man. It's, it, to me, it depends on who's their quarterback. I don't know. Um, but, I mean, whoever starts off bad, they'll get yanked for the other guy, of course. Um, I think they have probably about eight, maybe eight wins, maybe eight. It's not uh, crazy. They won't win the division. They might hit a wild card. Who knows? But uh, they have a rough start to the season before they're by. Their first five games – Miami, Seattle, Raiders, Chiefs, Broncos. I can see them easily being one and four, but these are the Patriots, right? So they're gonna probably be three and two or two and three and trying to ride it out from there. But um I don't know, man. I, I see the season for them wrapping up at Miami, home versus Buffalo, home versus Jets. They'll be playing for something then, but you know, Buffalo's right there, Miami's right there, and the Jets right there. Those are gonna be three probably tough defenses to say, oh, we're going to just roll over them. So 
You say nine. I, I got eight. I got eight. Hmm. So you got the under, and I'm thinking that they're going to push because I still think they're going to start Cam Newton, and I think there's going to be a bit of a Cam Newton renaissance. I'm very, I'm very um, hopeful and very optimistic on Cam Newton as the Patriots quarterback. Whether if he stays long is another question for another time, but I really do think that Cam could really revitalize himself and really get himself another one last paycheck before running off into the sunset. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think uh, it's going to be a lot of questions that's coming up uh, off season. with, I mean, I know that's kind of far, but these three quarterbacks coming out in the draft, and then you got Dak Prescott who needs to get paid, and Cam Newton. Cam Newton could be a very cheap option for a team that needs a quarterback. He, like, if the Cowboys are like, hey, I don't want to pay Dak this much money, Cam Newton just had a great year in New England. <laughs> Maybe we can just get him for not the Dak Prescott money, but we could say, hey, here's a three, four-year deal, which is probably will be half the money Dak gets somewhere. Uh, and they'll be all right with that because I think Cam can still uh, get it done. I think um, his accuracy is going to be a concern. It's been a concern his whole NFL career. But I think that if he makes the smart plays and if his, arm, his throwing arm is back to normal, they said, uh, why not? Why not uh, Cam have this year to say, all right, I'm going to show everyone, you know, I can still do it and play somewhere else in, in New England 2021. That is a big question that we will hopefully have the answers to once the football season starts. All right, Johnny, I'm hopefully we're going to have you back on for a few more of these divisions just so we can get these things done. But as of right now, that's going to do it for this podcast. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Do not forget to follow this podcast on Spotify as well as Anchor.fm. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and I will see you guys next time.